I don't know. I haven't left my, my house. <laughs> I put together this <laughs> instrument with pickups, and it sounded very noisy. It was very ugly. You know, even how, how many times I have to go to the airport to go somewhere, I think, started to influence the way I was making music, you know. But I, no I realized that all of the noise was different in some kind of color. Hello. Welcome to Talking Experiments, a new podcast from Borealis, a festival for experimental music in Bergen, Norway. I'm Christiane Milgaard, and in this episode, I'm meeting the artist Raven Chacon to talk to him about his work and practice and preparations for his new piece to be performed at this year's Borealis. When I met Raven on Zoom from my home studio in Bergen, the sun was just coming up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome, Raven. How was your morning so far? It's great. I just woke up and headed over to my studio. I I rent a studio in the north part of town, away from my home. And it's a it's a better place to work, to focus. It's more quiet and uh, easier for me to to organize all of my thoughts and my my equipment. <laughs> I asked Raven if he can describe what the space he's now in looks like. It's a mess, you know, and um It's hard to tell what it smells like. I'm, I'm sure it just smells like an office, I hope. I'd been accumulating all of this packaging material, boxes and styrofoam and bubble wrap, papers everywhere. There's uh, instruments, there's cables. Cables are always a mess. And um, But yeah, it's a, it's a complete mess because I, I do a lot of different things. And that's probably why I decided to rent a, a studio this past year. Uh, normally, I'm doing all of my work on the road. And I'm traveling, you know, I'm usually in the airport two times a week. But uh, being back home in New Mexico since COVID started, I'd, uh, I, I got back to a lot of projects I had needed to, you know, have more space to work on. I can't tell that you're a musician from this space. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Is it good? Is that That's a good, good thing? That's good, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean... Uh, I don't have any of my visually interesting instruments here. I don't know if visually that that is always needed, you know. Hmm. So, so yeah, I'm also glad this isn't a video interview so that I can <laughs> just wake up and and uh be in my messy office and uh, <laughs> and speak to you. Yeah. Raven Chacon is an artist from Fort Defiance, Navajo Nation, Arizona. He's a composer and performer of both chamber music and noise music. He also makes visual art and occasionally curates art exhibitions. He also runs his own record label and teaches music to young people in the Navajo Nation. What is he going to perform at Borealis this year? I have been commissioned by Borealis to write a new work for the Bit20 Ensemble. And I have decided to write for the entire ensemble, all of the instruments, and also to incorporate voice into this piece. And I don't think I will be working with a, a text or a libretto or anything like that. I, I think I'm going to work purely sonically and, uh, you know, extended technique with the voice for this. Incorporating processing and electronics and maybe even filled recordings into this. There's, there's only um, so much I can say about it because I'm still working on it.
just curious about your background. Did you have music when you grew up? I mean, was it part of your everyday life? Yeah, in, in a way, uh, I grew up on the Navajo Reservation. I grew up in a small town called Chinle, which is in Arizona. And my grandfather, he, he sings a lot. He's, he's known in the community as a singer and of, of Navajo music, traditional Navajo music, and also makes up his own songs all the time. He still, he still does. Mm. Um, and also in the home, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of music, a lot of uh, rock music. My uncles listen to a lot of heavy metal, and that's something that I, uh, you know, continued as I got older. But we moved away. The family moved away to Albuquerque when I was about, you know, starting school, so six years old or so. And when we, when we came to Albuquerque, we were fortunate, my sister and I, to be able to take piano lessons. And so I studied the piano for a few years. And I can't say that I, I was a good student of the piano. I, I, I really wanted to play saxophone or guitar or something else. But it, what, it, what it did give me was this understanding of the knowledge of Western notation and you know how to read music, how to understand uh, how music is put together, harmony, and of course, Western, Western scales and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and after after lear- playing around with the piano a little bit, I, I then taught myself to play other instruments: guitar, bass guitar, strings. And much later, I, I actually wanted to go into studying film, but I, I soon realized that when I was studying film, I was interested in being in the recording studio and and uh, learning about the sound part of it and. I just decided to major in music instead of film. Of course, I've grown up in a desert my whole life. And so I, I have spent a lot of time out there. I don't know if that has influenced my music or my sound. Um, I think I think my definitely my interest in my chamber works in in allowing for silence is you know comes from mm. uh, appreciating those moments of of let's say void or of space and but a lot of times you know I get asked this is is my music influenced by the landscape or something like that and no I I, I don't know you know I don't <laughs> I don't know how uh, it may I could say something like the wind or something but uh, but what used to happen when I was seventeen years old is I, I used to play in a band and I was playing the bass guitar and I tried to make my own bass guitar and I only had one string but I put together this instrument with pickups and it sounded very noisy it was very ugly and I had a drummer and he his drums drum kit began fall to fall apart we started fixing our own instruments and it sounded horrible it was noisy we couldn't even act, you know, play. We were we were learning to play, and we also didn't have a place to to rehearse. So we would drive out to the desert on the west side of Albuquerque and play out there. Wow! And get a generator to plug in the you know instruments that mm. needed electricity, and we would go make noise out there. Mm. And we would play. We would put on concerts for a few friends or nobody. Sometimes nobody would go out there. Later on, when I was when I was studying recording, there was always this talk about 
a room, you know, get, get treating the room so that it can get the best sound. And I started thinking, well, what, why is the room the barrier? What, what if you just go outside? You know, there's no walls mm. outside to, to ruin the sound or to tune the sound for you. So I started making recordings outside of my instruments. It was just a way to, it was just a way to, I guess, if we were to, to always try to force John Cage into a conversation, he, you know, it was the ambient sounds inter- interacting with, with, you know, or nature, so-called nature interacting with my sounds. I'm not so interested in that. But what then I wanted to try was then to just record the earth. I took a recording device. This was back in 1999 and recorded places I knew to be very quiet, places that I would visit. So Canyon de Chez, Arizona, which is very close to Chinle. Also Window Rock, Arizona, which is a sacred place to Navajo people, but is also the, the capital of the, of the nation. And I would just make recordings on days that were quiet with no wind and, um, you know, no cars, no airplanes in the sky and go back and listen to those. And of course, I was listening to almost nothing. I would, my ears would strain to try to hear any kind of information in there. And I kept turning it up and turning it up. And as I turned it up, it became more interesting until I turned it all the way to its maximum. And you just hear noise. But I, know, I realized that all of the noise was different in some kind of color. And so that, that was kind of the first sound piece that I had been working with. And it was already, um, it was already aligned with my interests of, of noise, you know, that I was making on these instruments. And much later did I, did I realize it was some kind of sound art and, you know, found ways to present it either on headphones or also uh, I've been making these postcards of these places because I think that's very also very important to understand a bit about, uh, you know, the region and what, these, what this environment looks like. I'm I'm not a acoustician or any kind of uh, person who who knows that much about sound, but uh, but each place has its own identity. That's for sure. Do you consider yourself a political artist? No, no. Um, I've never identified as that. And I actually stopped identifying as an indigenous artist because I I don't know if it's always understood or I don't know if I need to be categorized as that. I think also people might misunderstand uh, the the work that I'm making or might might, uh, take me as a representative of people who are are not making the kind of art that I'm making. Mm. But... Once people understand that I'm an indigenous person of the United States, trapped in the United States, I think they understand that a lot of my work is responding to that situation, being born into that situation. And by default, it's political. And so so I, I'm not going to say that my work doesn't uh, speak about this this situation. Uh, for instance, there was some work I was doing based around my experience at the Standing Rock and my interest in going there was not only to to support uh, you know other tribal people who were being encroached upon in their in their lands but also to research sonic weapons the lrad that the military police and the state police were 
and private security were bringing to to try to get the native people off of their land. And being able to use that as a musical instrument, be able to to find similarities and experiences of let's say refugees coming across the Mediterranean to come to Athens in alignment with people who are traversing the desert in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands and finding similarities to be able to be the content to project out of these sonic weapons. Um, that's an example of, of a work I would say is, of course, very political. and, and um, mm. The recordings from there was also used in your piece for Borealis the last time, wasn't it? It was. Some of this has... Uh, for a few years after that were used in some of my performances as the content for for making um, making music compositions mm. but they weren't they weren't presented in a way where you would be able to really decipher what was happening i just feel like their presence was there to to um, to be amplified again i think the more most interesting parts of those recordings are the quiet ones The, the moments of silence, the moments of um, contemplation, of rest, and then turning those up. And, and I don't know what their effect is. I didn't really have an intention. It's just, it's all an experiment. It's all mm. a, it's all a um, hope that something manifests, that something aligns when I'm playing that file, that's, that field recording. Yeah, I understand. It's uh, it's really interesting that you say that it's um, an experiment with sound, but all the places that you actually gain the sound from, both from the sacred places in the desert and Standing Rock, has a meaning with a lot of um, struggle or emotions. Or it's it's not just you know made in a studio; it's actually made in a field. So even though you say you're not like a sound anthropologist. It's still an exploration of very particular places with a very particular meaning. Uh, it seems that it's always from situations that are uh, that evoke something in you. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's it's not a conscious intention. They're just the places that I know or the places that I find myself in, and that I'm interested in in. If in in any way I can allow those places to speak louder than they're being heard, then at a very minimum, maybe that's what this field recording can do, and that's that's why I make them. But then um, I I I, I like the way they sound. You know, I I, f I find that there's a lot of information in them, and that's why I then choose to use them in music. But of course, they 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 have a a power to them or they have a, um, a meaning and a history. All of these places have immense history. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my, my interest too is then sharing that or, or allowing others to then uh, uh, have an opportunity to understand these places as well. And of course with, with Standing Rock, it was important that the rural ha uh, drew their attention to that, that place that, um, that conflict that was happening there mm. and that injustice that was happening uh, mm. because it took a while for the news to, to capture that. And also, you know, it was a, it was a movement of, and it was a movement and event that was 
brought to awareness by way of social media, but even that had its own kind of noise, its own confusion. And and that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to experience firsthand what was happening. Mm. So when you say that you're not a political artist, um, when I ask you, you just say promptly no. Uh, is it also because stating yourself as a political artist or an indigenous artist labels you and puts you in a box in a way where you feel that if you are in that box, you have to speak about those issues and that narrows your music so that you're not allowed to feel like any other musician. If you're in that box, then you have to talk about these very specific things. You're correct. It's it's the expectation that every work is going to respond um, to something from an indigenous point of view. And I don't, that's not the first thing I think about. It, it might It might be a natural part of myself making work that I'm going to represent that I'm going to look at it from an ind indigenous worldview mm -hmm. or the worldview that I am, but I, I am definitely not a representative of my tribe and uh, I might have, I might have uh, quite differing ideas also about, about a situation or a topic. Mm -hmm. And, and it all depends if I want to speak about that or not. But, uh, but I, I welcome interpretations into the work mm. or or alignments into how it might relate to to let's say a current event or a political situation uh, and I and I appreciate too as you brought up that that music doesn't always have to be about anything either and that being my main medium I like the things that music can speak about that we weren't expecting mm. or that we we have no knowledge about Music can speak about unknowable things or unknown things. And that's what why I continue to make music. And especially improvised music. The places we don't know where it's going to go are, are the things that I love about music. And also you make visual art. So how do you feel that there's a, or do you feel there's a difference between the two in this sense when you say that music perhaps goes somewhere beyond reason? What does visual art give you that music cannot? The visual work's more political. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, it's, it's, there's an opportunity there to, let's, let me put it this way. Perhaps I don't know enough about the other mediums, the visual mediums, to to be as abstract in that way. Or the visual mediums are an opportunity to speak about these more let's say let's say contemporary political issues or issues of um of conflict as they apply to indigenous people, as they apply to indigenous rights, um, or as they as they speak about land also i think there's i think that's something that um can already happen in the music but i think compounded with with moving image or image or sculpture can can support those those um, topics of that work mm -hmm. so it's 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 yeah it's really an extension of that and i and maybe even my my way back interest in film and video is emerging now because of COVID. I mean, because I can't go out or we can't gather 
opera singers or musicians or performers to be those faces and bodies on the stage that it now is an opportunity to, to find other solutions to do that. I just want to go back to your um, way of composing uh, because you both compose chamber music and noise music. But why is it that you like to keep those two styles so clean apart? I've never thought about that and I've never been asked that. But um, I guess there's a few reasons. One reason is that while I'm not a, necessarily a student of Western music, I do have a huge appreciation for the instruments, for the bass clarinet, for the alto flute, for the cello. And in a, lo a lot of times, I feel like those sounds cannot be improved. I feel that they have been made all through human history. I mean, we know these instruments come from all through all over the world, from Asia, from Africa. I don't think they can get any better. I don't think putting a max patch onto a bass clarinet is going to make it any better. That's my opinion. Uh, and and maybe part of that is I feel like I myself haven't explored enough to, or exhausted them enough. Uh, so I write for them without any interference. But I think the second part of your question, or, or another answer to your question, mm -hmm. is the same answer as why I don't consider myself a political artist or indigenous artist. And maybe it's to to have some clarity, to have some position that isn't quite um, pinpointed. Mm. When one understands that I am an indigenous person working in the classical field or the classical medium, that that person understands that I am trained in that in that medium, and so. It gives clarity to me to work, and I think it gives clarity for those who are listening to me, that it's not it's not all stirred up, like I'm um, trying to appeal to everybody. Mm. I'm not trying to appeal to everybody. If they were mixed, it could maybe also bring something completely new to the table. I, I hope so, and that's why I'm I've decided to start working like that with this commission, with this new piece. This is going to be one where I'm starting to experiment more with that to integrate the two and so this this piece is quite different in that way i mean i'm excited to think about you know what what you're saying here the the combination of those you know and and i think that part of that might be the the contrast of them against mm -hmm. what i was saying of these these pure instruments or these unmodified instruments mm. What are the main themes that you explore in your music? Back to the question I get often about if if my my work is about a a landscape. It's not. Actually, I I should say that recently I was I was asked to do a piece for a, a Sami artist Yuar Nango. He has an exhibition there in Bergen. I did compose this piece for drums and violin. 
to scan the landscape of where I was and to, um, to play the drum as I scanned the landscape or to play the violin. So as the landscape rose, let's say because there was a hill or a mountain, the tempo would increase. This is, this is, of course, not a new technique. This is a tradition that indigenous people have done all over the world. A lot of times a voice, maybe the melody is influenced by the contour of the landscape. So this was an influence, um, something that was influenced by the land directly. So I, sh- I should say that that's, that has worked its way into, into my music before. But more often, the, the music is a consideration of not place, but the pace of that place, the speed of that place. How fast are things moving in, in this place? Has time slowed down in a certain place? Are humans never in this place? Are there too many humans in this place? And if the wind does blow, what is that in contrast to how fast the car is driving down the freeway? All of those things I'm interested in as far as trying to think about time. You know, even how, how many times I have to go to the airport to go somewhere, I think started to influence the way I was making music, you know. Definitely attention, I think. I stopped mm-hmm. making kind of this drone kind of music or this kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. um, very slow-moving music. I stopped, I was making more of that kind of music 15 years ago or so. And I kind of stopped, you know, the past six years. And I, I, I feel that it's because I was constantly moving and not situated in one place. There is worldview changes from rural to urban settings. What's interesting about today in 2021 is we are all in a position where time can stand still or repeat itself because we are being quarantined. We might be in isolation. Uh, We might be working in in a different routine because of this, this uh, COVID situation. So time might've stood still for a lot of people, even if they're living in the middle of New York city. And at the same time, those who are living in more rural places might have had less of an interruption in this time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't left my, my house. <laughs> Me neither. just like to ask you because you're such an inspiring artist yourself what you are inspired by well um i have to be completely honest that when i'm working on a big project like this commission for borealis and other projects i'm usually working on five different things at one time i i can't listen to anything i can't listen to music at all same the same with films but um i have been uh, putting together a film festival here in Albuquerque, uh, invited to co-curate a program of, of short films from indigenous filmmakers. And there's a collective 
that I think everyone should should know about a collective called New Red Order, who are a collective of of three indigenous artists based in New York City, who are making some amazing films and and short uh, video and film projects, and they have one called I think it's called Never Settle. Let me I should look that up. Yeah, no, I was correct. Never settle. Okay. That's amazing. I'll check that out. Uh, but to be honest, it's been very hard to focus during COVID and the and the political situation in, in the United States. I find myself yeah. looking at the news more and reading that mm. instead of being able to focus on a book. I did recently receive this very small book called Res Metal. So a book about the heavy metal that's happening on the Navajo reservation that I've started to read. Cool. If we wanted to go somewhere, if the listeners wanted to go somewhere to find silent noises, what is an interesting place to go? A listener should go to a place that they feel that they know and just sit there in the dark and listen. And maybe they are revisiting a place they haven't been in a long time. I think those are the places that are interesting to listen to. Those would be the places I, I encourage people to go. That's a magical recommendation. Raven, it's been an honor talking to you. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Christiane. You're welcome. I said your name right, right? Yeah. Thanks so correct. much for okay. talking to me, Raven Chacon. Raven's new performance will premiere at Borealis, a festival for experimental music on Sunday the 21st of March at Osane Kulturhus. All the music you've heard today was composed and performed by Raven Chacon and from his latest album, An Anthology of Chance Operations. You can find more details of all of our projects at borealisfestival.no and do check out the other episodes of Talking Experiments to hear more about our 2021 festival. And make sure to spread the word and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Talking Experiments was presented and produced by me, Christiane Melgo for Borealis. <laughs>